It's good to have you here tonight, Wednesday night, our prayer and our prayer time, Bible study as well. Um, want to look at Mark chapter 12 tonight. Mark chapter 12 is a parable of the tenants. <coughs> I was trying to write a modern day version of this parable and uh, it gave me appreciation for how Jesus just took the, the, the life of his day and spoke to people in simple terms in things that they could understand. And he didn't have to explain a lot of the details because they got it. They just understood. At the end of this parable, is verse 12, it says, And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. <laughs> You talking to us, or you talking about us, or you talking against us. They got it. They got it. What is this parable? <clears throat> it's called the parable of the tenants. So let's read from verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. They got the message that Jesus was speaking against these Jewish leaders. Um, I really was thinking about this in terms of it helps us to see what sin is like. Um, and this is what sin is like. Sin is a rejection of God's rule. And in this parable, the owner establishes a business and goes to another country and he sends his managers back to get the proceeds, the legitimate proceeds from that business. And what do they do to every servant that he sent? They beat him, they disrespected him, and some they even killed. Of course, those servants, the, the man who built this business is a picture of God the Father, who owns everything. And he has built and established and created everything. 
And so he sends his servants. The servants are pictures of the Old Testament prophets who spoke, thus saith the Lord, and calling God's people to give respect to God for what he is, what he's given. And they reject him. Finally, he says, I'll send my son. Certainly they'll recognize the authority of my son, my very own son, and they will treat him with respect. Of course, they didn't. And that's, of course, a picture of Jesus who was sent down to, to earth by the Father. He was rejected by these same individuals. So they had it right. Jesus was speaking against them, and he did it so skillfully. <clears throat> I said it's a picture of sin because we see a willful rejection of God's order, of God's leading, of God's sovereign rule. It's a rejection. It's when, when, when a person sins, if, when we sin, when anybody sins, they are saying, God, you do not have the right to rule over me. Now, sometimes it's simply saying, you don't have the right to rule over this area of my life. We as Christians tend to do it that way. We don't think it as a blatant disrespect to God. We don't think of it as a spit in the face of God. But it really is. It's saying, you do not have the right to rule over this area in my life. Sometimes we do that even in our prayers. We say, God, I have prayed. Why haven't you answered? In other words, it's my command, Lord, not yours. You should have done what I said. Why didn't you do it? We're saying you don't have a right to be sovereign in this area of my life. I want to take that rule back. When we recognize sin that way, uh, it, it, it should help alert us to, to what we're doing when we go against God. We are doing our own thing. We're calling our own selves God. We're calling our own selves sovereign and having the right. That's, that's the basic human thought. I'm going to do as I please. In fact, I have a right to do as I please. One of the things we value most as human beings is free choice. We value it. We protect it. We think we have a right to it. And in reality, we don't. God is the one who has the right to free choice. He chooses as he pleases. We call it sovereignty. God is sovereign. He is ruler over all. We would do well. To, so what's the point of recognizing sin? It's so that we can see ourselves when we veer into that area, and then we can repent. We can confess of that and get in right standing with God. We can get in, in right posture, what I mean, with God, and that is to humble ourselves. And to recognize, God, I got mad because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. I got frustrated with you. Um, I see that with people. Um, they experience grief, and they say, God had no right to take my mother. God had no right to take my brother. Uh, he was so young. He was so this. He was so that. And we are, we are saying that in our minds, even if we don't say it out loud, God had no right to rule in that area. We're also saying God wasn't right in ruling. God, is, God had an evil streak. He was, he was mean. He was unloving. He was unjust. He should not have done it that way. And all those things are saying the same thing. I'm going to run it. I, I want the right to run it the way that I want to run it. I have some things that I'm asking God for, and I have to check myself. Lord, 
If you choose not to answer that, you are still God. You are still holy. You are still right. And you are sovereign. And I need to respect that without getting mad, without getting, you know, without taking my ball home, you know, taking my ball and going home. Um, I need to, I need to submit to your sovereign will. I think part of our devotion time needs to be that. Lord, I don't know what your will is, but I admit that I ought to submit to it. And as I find it out today, help me to walk in it and submit to it. Even if it's different than what I want it to be. You are God. I am your servant. You're the potter. I am the clay. Help me to walk in your path. Now, Naturally, we struggle with that. Jesus himself modeled that struggle for us. In Matthew 26, I think it's 26, um, Jesus was in Gethsemane, in the garden, in his prayer. And he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Remember that prayer? But so he struggled with, Lord, your way seems really difficult, and I wish I didn't have to go that route. But then he corrected um, and said, nevertheless, your will be done. And, and that's a model for us. We will buck up against God's way. We won't see the, um, the need to do that. We, we, we see the difficulty in it. We see the pain. We see suffering. We see hardships. And we'd rather go another way. But we need to do as Jesus modeled and said, Lord, um, I don't, you know, so in some cases I don't understand it. In some cases um, I don't see what the benefit, full benefit is, or I don't see why I have to go that route, why I have to be so difficult. I remember uh, being a kid and my dad would have me do certain things and my mom would ask me to do something. And I would always try to figure out a better way. You know, maybe I can accomplish what you want, but it could just be easier for me. Um, I don't like the way you're telling me to do that. I want to do it a different way, uh, a little easier. Maybe I just want to do it later. <laughs> you know, I'll take the garbage out later when I get back. No, they say, no, do it now. So um, that's us asserting our own way. So in this story, the tenants rejected the rule of the man who planted the vineyard and saying, you don't have a right to the fruit of this vineyard. You don't have a right um, to, to order us and to, to do your, your own way. We want to do it our way. So we recognize that for what it is, and we, we want to see it. Um, we want to recognize it in our own lives. And, and see it and do that correction. Um, here's, here's a trait of mature, of the mature uh, person, one who is able to self-correct, okay, um, and say, hmm, I noticed that. Lord, help me. Because you can self-correct doesn't mean you should do it alone. Sometimes you self-correct and you realize you need somebody to, to go with you or to walk with you or to just be that accountability. I'll give you an example. You, you realize that you need to exercise more. You need to eat a little better. 
and you, you self-correct. You know, I need to make this adjustment. But sometimes you call somebody else along with you um, to help you uh, be accountable to, to what you already know you should do. Um, and so maturity, yes, is seeing it and correcting it. But wisdom is saying, I'm not going to try it alone. I'm going to um, get somebody else along with me. We pray in prayer partners so that we could um, help minister to each other. Sometimes we examine, um, sometimes we need to examine our own requests and um, our, our own motive and our own will and how we um, need to submit to God's will. So as you state your will today in prayer, think about that nevertheless statement for Jesus. Nevertheless, your will be done. Can you honestly put that on every request that you make? If you can, and you probably can't, just at least in yourself, acknowledge the struggle. Acknowledge the struggle. Lord, I really want it this way. And I'm afraid that you might not want it that way. <laughs> in fact, it may be clear to me that you don't want it that way. In some cases, it, it may be clear. In some cases, you're just afraid that God may want something different. Acknowledge that and then ask God as you begin to submit. Maybe you haven't fully submitted, but you, you're going to start today. Lord, I realize you have the right to rule. Help me to bow down to your rule. I don't always do that easily, but help me to do that. So in our prayer, let's keep, keep that focus as, as we go to prayer today. One other thing I want to mention before I call Brian. Uh, today is January the 19th. Um, it is my dad's, what would be my dad's birthday. He would have been 93 today. Um, he had a unique, in my mind, um, of course, my dad was always unique, one thing that was unique about him, he was born in the same year as Martin Luther King. Um, same year. So they, they would have been, uh, yes, Martin Luther King would have been 93 this year. He was born in the same state as Martin Luther King, in the same city as Martin Luther King. Um, and so... Uh, and just four days apart, Martin Luther King was born on the 15th. He's born on the 19th. And so you would have had two babies possibly in a hospital. I don't know what hospitals they go. Martin Luther King uh, was, was um, you can tell from, from uh, his account in his life that he, he was in a middle class, an upper middle class, especially for black people. He was in a very much upper middle class. My dad was not in that class, so um, I don't even know if he was born in a hospital. He might have been—he <laughs> might have been born in a manger. No, he wasn't that holy. But <laughs> he wasn't that holy. <laughs> Probably wasn't that poor either. <laughs> but I always thought of him. You know, uh, go to school, and our teachers would have us write papers and so forth, and. Um, so uh, I will always think about those similarities. My father, of course, was, was a preacher, um, and uh, um, he certainly had an influence on, on, on me. And uh, so I've re I just remember him today and remember those, uh, some of those similarities in uh, what he has taught. So um, I'm thinking of that and uh, rejoicing in the Lord that um, his testimony uh, was clear and uh, his memory continues um, with me and uh, with all who knew him well.
Good evening, saints. And we're going to be continuing our meditation in Revelations. And in Revelations 18, we see more of a description of the fall of Babylon. And so we're seeing the fall of the sinful city. Now, we talked a little bit last week about a city. And the idea of a city is something that's important in Scripture. Because cities back then were maybe a little bit, let's say it this way. Cities often represented entire states back in the ancient days. In other words, a city could be a country. So you could have the city of Athens, the city of Sparta. And I know a lot of people think Greece is a country, but back then it wasn't, right? There was Athens, there was Corinth with its own city. This is before Jesus' day. This is in the Greek period. And a city represented a society. And while we look at Babylon as a city, I also want to point out that throughout Scripture, there's a holy city too. And you're going to see this contrast if you look carefully at the book of Revelations between this evil city and this holy city. So I want you to just keep that in mind as we describe Babylon, and then as we move from Babylon, right? So 18 and 19 are continuing about Babylon. We're kind of transitioning in 19. And then 20 is going to introduce a new city. So Revelations 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed a immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repair her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, 
bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gain wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all those who trade in on the sea, stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, for all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were great once on the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. That is the declaration of the judgment of Babylon. Let's just talk about Babylon. Babylon being a city. It's hard for us to sometimes identify Babylon, but I likened it to Las Vegas, Sin City. But I think it's maybe, and I believe that one day perhaps it'll be an actual city, but I think it more represents the society of sin. The society of sin. But there's a few things that stand out about her. One of the things that keeps getting repeated all the time, over and over, and you gotta think about this. We were having our pastor's meeting yesterday and they talked about how expensive paper was back in the ancient days. So if somebody spent a lot of verses on one subject that was important, how many verses are spent talking about all the wares she had? How many verses represent the merchants and capitalism going on in her city? I'm not saying capitalism is evil, but I am saying there's a lot of profit to be made in evil. There's way more profit to be made in evil than there is in good. Every time you get divorced, you gotta hire lawyers. Child's out of wedlock. People get child support. Somebody get charged with child support. Sin cost. But sin is profitable. People who are addicted to alcohol pay for alcohol. People who are addicted to cigarettes pay for cigarettes. People who are addicted to sex pay for sex. 
people will pay for pleasure. And Babylon is the idea that you can get what you want, you can do what you want, or as my brother quoted in Satanism's quote, do as you will. That's the quote of Satanism. That's the quote of Babylon. Do what you want to. Come in, have fun, party. There's a party going on. A lot of money could be made in a party. People always spend money. They may regret it the next day, but that day they're going to spend like they're rich. I always marveled as a person who never drunk alcohol how much money somebody could spend on a single day in drinks. You can go and get an expensive steak dinner for you and somebody else at a really nice place. You could pay $120. Or you can get drunk for one night and pay more than that. It's crazy. It's really crazy. You don't necessarily have much to show for it other than a headache. But it is amazing to me what a party would do. Babylon is the life of the party. The second thing that I notice about this city is it's rich and it's violent. I think a lot of times the more sinful we get, the more we try to gloss over violence. So we have our abortion clinics and if you look from the outside, they look smooth and technological. They're sophisticated operations. They don't want you to know they're ripping off babies' heads and selling the organs. They don't want you to know that. They don't want you to know that people are selfishly going in there, women going in there murdering their own children. And they think they have a right to do that. They'll go to court fighting for that right to be a vicious murderer. We wonder why we have a society of women who are addicted to psych meds. I think the guilt of murder hangs over so many women that they don't talk about. That's why they're so messed up. A lot of these men are messed up too, but I'm talking about these women are messed up because they have rejected in their own way what it means to be a woman. They rejected motherhood. In a selfish way. You know the Pope said something. It was one of the few things Pope said I agree with. He said, people are selfishly rejecting being parents and adopting pets instead. And he said they're doing that so that they can have control. He was so right about that. He was so right about that. We have a selfish society. People talk about the child rate and the birth rate going down. You know why? Because when I go home, I got to clean off the toilet seat all the time because I got a little one that's learning how to go. I got to change diapers for my youngest one. I got to tell them to go to bed. I can't watch what I want to watch sometimes. I got some shows that I might want to watch that got some cussing in it. I can't watch those shows because I don't want them to pick up no bad habits. It don't affect me much because when I go to work, everybody cussing except for me. I want to watch these shows, but you know what? I can't. I don't want Jordy to run up and say the D word at church, right? I don't want that. So I got to change my life. And so we don't want to be inconvenienced. 
what did the Lord say when he created us? Be fruitful and multiply. We got a whole system where we try to have sex. I'm not saying having sex, you always got to have a kid. But the idea that we just seek our own pleasure and we don't seek the good of our fellow man, that's selfish. That we don't seek the next generation, that's selfish. That we don't impart ourselves on the next generation, that we don't have the expectation that we will die, that's selfish. That's what the world is doing. They running away. They get surgery when they're 60 years old so they can try to look like they're 20 years old. You old. Accept that you're old. They don't want to accept it. Why? Because they're selfish. They still want to live like they're 20. They talk about venereal disease is going rampant in the state of Florida. Not amongst the college students. Nope. Not amongst the young single professionals. Amongst the senior citizens. Yeah. They going crazy at these homes. You know why they going crazy? Because they know they can't get pregnant. They just wildin'. Right? She laughing because she think about somebody's grandpa making a move, right? But it's sad. In its own way, it's really sad, right? In its own way, it's really sad. Somebody out there wilding. I got so many jokes about backaches and stuff, but I ain't going to do that. But the point is, is that people have forgotten their natural place. And because of that, they become filled with dishonor. They think it's going to last forever. But what does the angels repeatedly say? The judgment is going to come in one hour. Right? Judgment is sudden. I think about the guys that Jeremy sees every day who run red lights. They've been running red lights for years. One day they're running red lights. Now the problem is they often kill somebody else. But every once in a while, one of them runs a red light and they get killed. How quick does it happen that that bad decision changes a life. They don't think about that. They wilder, right? Babylon is always wilder. So I think this, this chapter is very important. There's so much in this chapter. We can go on forever. But it's just important to know it. It's just the riches, the sexual immorality, and the instantaneous judgment that nobody saw coming. That's God's day. Remember what it said, the, the bridegroom, the bride will not be coming. They didn't see it coming, right? In other words, God's judgment came on Monday. They had plans Friday. They had asked somebody out on a date the weekend before. They had a wedding planned that Friday, that Saturday. They had a new job starting that Wednesday. Nope. Judgment is on Monday. And that's the scary part. That God can tell the judgment. And I believe it's just going to be like Noah's day. God will send signs to let us know the judgment is coming. People will laugh at it. But when the day comes, they're going to be knocking on the side of the ark. But the ark will be closed. Charmone. What is on your heart for prayer today? just been praying and thinking about those just either struggling in their walk or 
those dealing with a lot of things where they like people who don't always speak about their things out loud, whether it's anxiety and depression. And I know there's we have our ways of dealing with that, but just people who are just not that we haven't seen in a while or, you know, need to be faithful or are struggling. That makes any sense. <laughs> so just to be clear, so we're, we're we're praying for people who are struggling in their walk and other p- potential mental health crises. Yeah, go with that. <laughs> okay. Who wants to pray for that with Sharma? And then I'll close up. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we are here this evening just to spend some time in your word and also just lift up um, prayer requests, but also just give you praise for how awesome you are just watching over us and protecting us even from things we don't even see or circumstances we didn't even know um, were coming our way. I just pray to the Lord um, that first we examine ourselves, just our walk with you and our faithfulness to staying in your word and being faithful in prayer just making sure we're holding ourselves accountable. And then I pray for individuals who um, God lays on our hearts um, every day. It could be the same person. It could be someone um, who we um, have, haven't have seen in a while but thinking of. And we know there are those who have turned away from you. And we know we have relatives and, every, and some individuals who are not saved. But just focusing on those who um, we believe to be saved but maybe struggling, who need some encouragement who may need exhortment um, as well, um, a push or um, some boldness just to come and be in the presence of other saints who need prayer, who need just whatever is necessary to get back to you, dear God. So I just pray you work on their hearts. That may not always be in the way we think. Some people might not have rest and are struggling with decisions and others may be um, getting distracted or not focusing on what they need to and not reading their words. So, Lord, whatever the situation is, I pray that you use us in whatever way you see fit. Sometimes um, it may not be us directly, but even through our prayers as we're thinking about individuals, that you just um, continue to have us um, be a testimony, be a light, especially in this world where there's just so much going on, and even in our own city and our on our jobs, there's coworkers who we know that we may work with that say they're saved or um, are not going to church faithfully and we need to challenge them. Um, but God, just I just thank you for um, just that ability to still talk to one another um, about the word and, and share about um, who you are. And everything isn't all flowers or may not be a, a positive thing. Sometimes you have to go through the storm and then come out of it even stronger than before. But I just pray that you, again, just use us in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, as we continue um, during this crazy time of a pandemic and um, just this spirit of fear that is, has overtaken the entire globe, Father, I pray um, for perseverance, Lord, for the perseverance of your people, the saints, Lord, that you've given your Holy Spirit to, Lord being constantly bombarded by lies and deceit and um, just a doom and gloom from uh, the television to the radio to um, to mandates and uh, work rules and uh, just the, some of the attitudes that uh, our friends and neighbors and even family members 
take. I'm just being so beaten down by, by this, um, this spirit of fear and um, just the, the, the look at uh, mortality that they have. Father, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to lean on you, to trust in your understanding, Lord, and to draw closer to you, Father, when we're, we're the ones that are getting despaired or we're the ones that are being tempted to, to doubt or to fear or to waver. Father, help us um, individually grow closer to you during these times of, of, uh, of uh, um, really just a hopelessness, Lord. Father, help us um, as we draw close to you, Lord. Also, reach out to each other, Lord, and, and be supports for each other. Help us to um, grow our relationships and, and be vulnerable at times, at times, Lord, to share when we need to share when we're hurting or we're the ones that are weak, Lord, or being willing to reach out to uh, a brother or sister, Lord, if they seem like they might need um, some extra strength, some extra comfort, Lord. Help us to have a, a sweeter communion with each other while we're here, Lord, as we draw closer to you. Father, we pray, um, just looking ahead as we, we continue in Revelation, Lord, at what it's going to be like in the end times, Lord, and this this can be a little taste of it, Lord. It's, it's going to be even worse, Lord, and if we're still around, um, I pray that you just use this time to strengthen us and and give us uh, even more of a firm foundation as we prepare for all the things that uh, the wicked one and the world will throw at us, Lord. Father, help us now as um, we comfort each other, Lord, in, in co-workers, family members getting sick or passing away, and just all the challenges that come with going through winter season in Milwaukee and uh, just this crazy time of life we're facing right now. We pray these things in the hope of your name, our Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we just continue in prayer. We just lift up anybody that we know, Lord, anybody in our congregation who are just struggling right now, Lord, who are stumbling. We ask that you strengthen them, help help them seek out to fellow believers, Lord, and um, bring what their their issue is, what their struggle is to the believers, Lord, that they may be ministered to. We ask that you just be with all of us, Lord, as if we're not doing all that we should be in our walk with you, Lord, that you just help us identify that. If that's praying, prayer, reading your word, um, being diligent to meeting it at your services, Lord, we ask that you just help us identify it, help us to correct it, um, make that our, our resolution for the year, Lord, that we um, step up in those areas and we continue to just commune with you and continue to just seek you and use you as um, our Savior, as our comfort, as our guidance. Um, just the, the guardians and leader of our lives, Lord. We ask that you just be with those who are with our church, Lord, who, who may be suffering through things of depression or, or fear or stress, Lord, that may be bogging them down, Lord, that you just um, help them, as prayed, we prayed already, that they just seek the help that they need from fellow believers or seek the help through your word, rest their cares upon you, allow you to just lead their lives, Lord, and um, help them through whatever struggle they're going through, Lord, and uh, continue to minister to, to them and your people. Lord, we brought in the prayer to anybody in, in your Christian church worldwide, Lord, that you just uh, help them identify the same issues, help them to get the help they need, continue to minister to your people, continue to grow and strengthen them, Lord, as uh, we continue towards more, more and more times of wickedness. Yes, you continue to just strengthen your church in this ministry. In your name we pray. Amen.